0: Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready. Get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs Hobby Hustle. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I've got a conversation, bring in one to you that is intended as always to inspire and get you to think. And I know this one did that for me. It was an honor to have Dr. Jim Beckett on the pod to talk about the Dallas show, what was going on, just some observations on the current state of the market. Such an influential member of our hobby, and it was certainly an honor to get him to spend some time on the podcast. I know you're going to enjoy this one. If you like what you've been hearing on the pod, hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to sign up for the weekly rip. New one dropped today. You can sign up for free. Link in my bio. I've got nothing more to say. Dr. Jim Beckett on the other side of this. Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I'm really excited for today's episode. It is an honor, certainly. Um, I am with one of our industry's legends, Dr. Jim Beckett. It's almost even hard to introduce uh, Dr. Beckett. I think everyone out there who grew up with sports cards, who picked up uh, his magazine uh, knows, knows what uh, he's about. Um, just being at Dallas over the past week, I couldn't get in a circle without hearing someone mentioning his name and talking about just their appreciation for his contributions in our hobby and industry. So um, I'm really excited to bring up some topics that hopefully uh, he hasn't addressed recently. And hopefully you all out there on the other end will learn something. But without further ado, how are you doing today, Jim?
1: I'm great, Brett. We had a great show this past weekend. Glad you were there. i I love these Dallas shows. I just, I jump in my car instead of jumping on a plane.
0: <laughs> that that sounds nice. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So much energy there. And we're going to talk about the show. But maybe before we do, um, I was in my hotel room and I was watching Instagram like we all do. And one of my favorite people in the hobby, you know, does his daily video. And it was Rob Varis, the owner of Burbank Sports Cards. And he was talking about just people and contributors in the hobby. And he was talking about his Mount Rushmore and he was talking about his goat and he mentioned you. And then it was like, he struggled to mention like the two, three or four. And I know just, this is the first time we're meeting, but I know you're a pretty humble guy, but, you know, hearing from a guy like Rob and mentioning your name, um, just as like the guy in the hobby, like, what does that mean to you? And just kind of the legacy that you've left on our industry?
1: Well, he's biased because he's my personal friend, Brett. So uh, I didn't pay him to say anything, but we go way back and I just have great admiration for what he's done. And we've crossed paths a number of times and looking forward to getting back out there seeing his new store.
0: Yeah, it it looks like he's always uh, working hard and he's got a lot going on, Um, but I thought that was certainly cool. And then jumping back, I guess, just to Dallas, what are some things, I know I just, I saw a ton of activity there's, it seems like there's a bunch of different segments, a bunch of different people doing a lot of different things, but it's all directed at energy around the hobby. Did you have anything specifically in your time just being there, meeting with people, just things that you noticed that stood out to you?
1: Well, you know, I know I, I had lunch with Kyle the week before the show and, and he wasn't nervous about it. He's very kind of has his act together for this, but the, the show footprint was reduced from the time before. So he, had, he didn't have the room, uh, the the second biggest room that was full uh, six weeks or two months before. So he had crammed, I think it was 500 tables into the one big ballroom. And it was crowded. I mean, people were, you know, you had to turn sideways to get through the aisles. And, uh, you know, not, not that many masks. There were some people masked, some people not. But it was very crowded. And that's good. A lot of energy in the room, a lot of noise, a lot of... Uh, live breaks i think and and reveals and and trades and things so there was a lot of a lot of enthusiasm so i, I thought it was great
0: yeah I, I thought it was great too i i the the mask thing was an interesting one i it seemed like there were some people with them some people not i'm is what it is at this point hopefully everyone you know was being safe i tried to go around and talk to as many vendors as possible even if i wasn't buying something from their table just Try to see what's going on, try to get an understanding for how things were. And um, it seemed to me that most people have who are at a table, who are set up, you know, they were looking to sell their cards, they were looking for cash. They weren't, um, they weren't necessarily looking to trade. And that's just kind of from my personal experience. Um, but just from that experience that I had, does does what does that say to you about just? The, the current state of the hobby is that stand out to you at all? Or is that kind of just business as usual?
1: Well, it's business as usual compared to the way it used to be. It's not business as usual compared to the way it was six months ago. Uh, six months ago, there was a lot of buying, you know, that the dealers weren't just, you know, the, the trading, you know, is problematic for a dealer. I Dealer doesn't want to trade his huge card for four pretty good cards. And that's what a lot of the people walking up want to do. They want to sell. They're there to sell. But if they're not there to buy, when people come up and say, "Hey, I got these cards for sale. you want to buy them?" And if they're slab, they're authenticated. After all, you're the stacking slabs guy. So if they're slabbed, authenticated by a reputable company, then there ought to be that ought to be currency. But I think fewer of the buy of the of the dealers uh, the show dealers were buying. Compared to six months ago, because it's not a straight up market anymore. It's a mixed market. Some things going up, some things going down. But that's the way it's all. That's the way it's always been until 2020. That it's been. You know, you, you you know, some things are going up, some things are stagnant, some things are going down. But when everything <laughs> was going up, every dealer would buy anything that that where where the, were the uh, person walking up the table did not have the la- access to the latest apps and comps and latest information. So. Now I think there's more information out there and uh, you know, when, when, a, when a collector or an investor even walks up to a dealer's table, who's paid money to be there, you know, the collector paid 10 bucks, they walk up and they want full retail or they want the latest comp. They want you to match the highest price. Well, what's in that for the dealer? I mean, it, unless the card is, is continuing to ascend, it's, it's not a good deal for the dealer. So, so we're, we're in that limbo period where it's no longer a sure thing.
0: Totally, yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess I'd love your feedback on. Um, it seems that over the last couple months, you know, any market is going to ebb and flow, go up and go down, right? That's just the way any market works. And it seems like there's a lot of people out there talking about just the. the it seems like this there's a sky is falling sentiment with just the the market as a whole, where I think maybe some pockets of cards might be going down, but maybe not others. Um, how just there's a lot of people who jump back into the hobby, who listen to this show, who are trying to get educated and learn. Like, how do you best give advice to people that the cards might be going down, but it might not be forever? Like, what do you say when when you know this type of activity is happening in the market. Like, what what can you share with the audience just to build confidence in just our hobby with
1: them? Well, the hobby is is uh, many things to many people, and I, I think when somebody first gets into the into the hobby, they I don't know if they have to pick. They don't have to permanently pick their lane, but they really ought to focus on something because it's it's too big to digest if you're if you're and if you're coming back from a twenty year hiatus, even more you've got to. You know, kind of take the pulse and get 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 comfortable with what you want to do. Uh, study it up a little bit. Uh, find some dealers or people in the industry you can trust. Some trusted voices, even podcasts, whatever, YouTube. Uh, and so, w- once you do some of that o- your own research and narrow it down to something you get your hands around, and then, then hopefully you won't get burned. But you know, there's when prices double, not everybody's happy about that. When prices drop in half. Not everybody's sad about that. So it's, it's, it's more complicated. And if you're new to the, it, to the hobby and you have some discretionary funds, I think it's the greatest hobby in the world. So just enjoy, but don't think it's a get rich quick thing.
0: I love that. That is, uh, I think I said that line in a couple others so many times in so many conversations. It's coming from a place of abundance, being in it because you love cards um, and just consistency. And the more you're in it and the more time spent being patient typically rewards the participant. Um, so I love hearing that. Um, maybe we move over to just something that's been, I think will continue to grab attention. And that's just record sales of cards that are happening everywhere, right? There's auction houses putting up cards and cards are going for all-time highs. Those are typically the, the stories that get picked up in mainstream media Then people who might have some interest in the hobby, see those headlines get drawn back in. And then I think there's just this, this misconception of like, well, I need to go out and get those cards. Those cards are expensive though. How do I do that? And so like, as I've been in this, I've seen, you know, high end, I've seen mid tier, I've seen low end, and there's just a lot of people in between in a lot of segments. So I guess as I'm thinking about this and I'm trying to, figure out what my lane is and where I should operate. I'm thinking a lot about just segmentation in our hobby and and things that we can do to kind of better define those lanes. Do you have any thoughts just on that in general, just as our hobby expands um, how we can better kind of segment the, the, the interest and the types of cards and people um, that, that are, are, are coming in?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, the fact that a lot of publicity in the industry is about the glamour cards the the world record prices that that's i mean if you read the wall street journal they're talking about the most successful companies you read the new york times the headlines are made by uh, the biggest and the best so when you're dealing with cards some of these really really expensive cards they're they're aspirational and that's the part of the success of breaking is that you have a chance to get i i a life-changing card in some of these breaks. And so that's not going to happen in every industry, but in our industry right now, if you get one of these very tough cards, you're, you're, you're set. You're set. It it makes up for all the losses.
0: And so with that, like, if if you're playing that game where my thoughts are, if you're playing that game where you're, you're, Breaking is for some people, but obviously with that, there is gambling and it's, I'm of the mindset that it's hard to kind of focus a lot of your energy and time and money in that bucket, wishing and hoping for the best. I think I'm of the mindset that it's start, maybe start small, meet people, get active, and then you'll, you'll grow from, grow from there. And then the more you grow, your cards will get bigger because you'll learn how to better operate. I'm not here to saying breaking is a bad thing. I think breaking is a wonderful thing in our hobby. But is is there a a balance between maybe starting small and then kind of doing some breaking, or I just what are, what are your thoughts there?
1: There are no rules, Brett. I mean, it's, people can enjoy it the way they want to enjoy it. With breaking, uh, you mentioned that it's gambling. Well, in a sense, it's gambling. In a sense, it's not. The sense that it's not gambling is the same thing as the. The uh, MIT guys that got kicked out of Vegas for card counting in uh, blackjack, and they were they had a system, and they were able to work that system. So that's not gambling for them. Okay, the same thing happens in in breaking. There's certain if you do the numbers, there are certain products that if you if you buy into the break at a certain price, your expected value is actually above what you're paying to be in that break. And so when that's the case, you know, in other words, if lotteries were not mutual in other words, the state, the government taking their cut off the top and splitting the rest, it's above mutual If the payout, the total payout, then it's it's a classic Harvard Business School case that you know if there's uh you'd buy all the lottery tickets if the lottery paid out more than what was put in, and of course they don't. But with cards, it sometimes does. You'd buy as much as you could, if the expected value was was greater than the than the cost of entry, and so it's not gambling. Okay, now you could lose, just like the MIT guys can lose, but over time they will win. So they don't see it as as gambling. They see it as a system that the law of large numbers then works for them instead of against them. I and love that, that. That's why Vegas barred them and kicked them out.
0: I love that. So yeah. Uh, y- I love the correction there. So if you are willing to do the work and understand how um you know the cases are packed and how the breaks work and the cards and everything if you do that work on the back end then you can come into a break more intelligent and more informed and you have a better better you can place yourself in better odds with the money you spend.
1: If you watch a break for a product it, it said I'm not before I jump in I'm going to watch a break of that product. And you see, you know, most most people lose, okay? But the occasional winner and the chance of that is so great that, uh, or the payout is so great that you're willing to lose, 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 and then win big. And it makes up for all the losses. Again, hypothetically, not always true, but sometimes that's been true. And that's why you've seen the, you know, case and box prices increase, especially in the last year, because the maximum card, Again, the the analysis they do, Brett. I'm getting statistical now, but the analysis <laughs> they do is is too simplistic. What they do is they look at what's the best thing I could get, even though it's a one in a million. But what's the best thing I can? What's the best card in this product? And if it's a hundred thousand dollar card, they're they're looking at that. Well, if there's a one in a million chance of getting a hundred thousand dollar card, that's not very good odds. Now you somebody's going to get it though. Um, totally. Totally so they don't enough. look at all the other ancillary intermediate cards that you could get just like lottery. You know, you're, you're not going to be the big winner, but you know, are you going to, but again, lottery is is kind of like gambling and it's the deck is stacked against you. With cards, cards is better than lottery. You know, the, the odds are better.
0: I love that. I love that. Now you, you mentioned there are no, there are no rules and I think uh, there that the, the lack of regulation, the lack of rules, Provides a lot of freedom and an open canvas for collectors to approach the hobby any which way they want. Um, and I think there, you know, there's the long game of people who've been in the industry for, like you, for just a very extended period who has seen the different waves of things come and go. There's new people entering the hobby every day um, that are trying to learn and try to figure out their place. The, what's helped me out as I've come back is just trying to build lanes and build a process around my activity. Do you find it, while there are no rules, important to build some sort of process to the way you're approaching
1: the hobby? Well, if it's a hobby, then uh, what I say about myself, I'm a law-abiding rule breaker. In other words, I, I I don't respect you know rules just for the sake of rules. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pay my taxes. I'm, I'm not gonna get in trouble. I'm not gonna go to jail for anything. But these, it's like Tony LaRussa with the uh, unwritten rules of baseball. Well, that's, that's his opinion. That's the way it was. A lot of entrepreneurs get started by breaking these uh, conventions or rules or the way it's always been done. And so, again, there are no rules in that you can do something different. You can say, I don't want to collect rookie cards. I think the next great thing is going to be last cards, you know, you know or second year cards. And somebody, and if 99 people out of 100 say you're stupid, Maybe you're stupid, but maybe you're just the first in line for the new the new wave. And so the no rules are you can collect the way you want to collect. And if you're investing the and in sort of gambling, you're you're betting on your ability to spot a trend or to buy right or to be able to sell. You need some edge. and most and if you don't have an edge or some kind of a some some approach, then, you know, that's, I'm I'm not saying, well, what I'm saying is that there are some rules and you can ignore them potentially at your peril, but potentially of uh, starting a new trend. And so to not even think about it and just, you know, not have any focus, I think that's, you could, again, in 2020, in the summer, you could have done that and it wouldn't have mattered. You would have done well. But in this new market that's mixed, there's lots of alternatives, you have choices, you and you got to figure, like I said, short game or long game, you know, big cards or medium cards or small cards.
0: Totally. And one of the things that you, you mentioned having an edge, and I think one of the one of the ways, uh, you know, we can gain an edge is just, you know, adopting some new technology in the hobby. I think we're, I, I still think there's a lot of opportunity to for new technology to pop up to support the infrastructure that's growing in the hobby. But I think there's, some great platforms and things that currently exist that if you just spend some time on it and start understanding maybe some trends data over time, then you can start maybe forecasting or making predictions on what the best next thing is going to be. And you've got some data to help inform, form that decision. And that's coming from companies and people that are building technology that is available for everyone um, to subscribe to. So I, I just over the, I guess over the course of the last few years, like new technology has popped up. Like, what are your thoughts? Like what excites you most? And, you know, do you think there's a need for even more technology?
1: I can, I can think or feel whatever I want it. Technology is marching on. It's it's going to happen. And, and it's generally a good thing. It's, it's bringing more energy and, And uh, but what what it's doing, Brett? The distinction is what that technology, for the most part, is doing. It's automating what we're already doing, or it's uh, better, more clearly identifying the trend that is that is happening. Okay, the real breakthroughs come when you get ahead of the trend. You get ahead, not just here's the trend. I'm going to buy into the trend, but discovering the next trend. I'm not sure technology is going to. Going to determine that. Although here's an approach. I'll just throw out for everybody: is that uh, you know most of these uh, products that I think are very helpful about determining you know the movement of cards and you know market movers and card ladder and all that. They're telling you what's happened over the last three months or three years. None of them can tell you what's going to happen in the next three months or the next three years, and you know i've and I, I'm not being facetious about this, but uh, you know there there could be a contrarian fund that says we're going to be very quietly buying up cards that have not gone up, you know good cards that have been stagnant for the last three years. Things are not trending, okay, but I don't think very many people that's the road less traveled
0: yeah that and and that's kind of the area that along with everything else that i collect and what i my lanes those are the opportunities that i think excite me the most and i think excite a lot of other people in the hobby is there's this desire to find the next big thing before anyone else or being the first person so i think that's an interesting topic that i think is probably a whole can be a whole uh conversation um but before before i let you get out of here i i'd be remiss not to uh, ask you your perspective on just like pricing. I think I, I when I was at at the Dallas show, I was looking across all of the tables and I saw a lot of the cards that I saw, you know, I'm not I don't don't have a price guide in my head, but I I do look at card ladder quite frequently and notice, know what kind of the bigger cards are going for and where they're at. Uh, but I saw just a lot of cards just were listed, you know, on, and this might have changed by the time I left, but were listed above comps. And so I'd love to just get your perspective on just like pricings and you created the first pricing guide and Beckett, like how do you see pricing today and how it's evolving? Do you think it's in a better spot um, or do you think it still needs some, some work? More-
1: well, no, it's, it's, it's constantly evolving and there's a lot more uh, digital data that's more easily Wrestled with, we had to go find the data and enter the data. But you know, a lot of the eBay data data is available for, uh, you know, for not just scraping, but just you know, there's access that they will allow. There's always been a battle, a tension between the the dealer and the collector, the investor and the the seller and the buyer, and you know, the 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 seller is always trying going to try to point to the most favorable comps or the or the price guy that has the highest price. And the collector, you know, the purchaser is always trying to point that dealer. Well, yeah, but here, here's what it's sold for. And it's, you know, in, in, in a nine condition, but it's a BGS nine, you know, which is different than a PSA nine and it's a weak BGS nine. And so, you know, with, with poor sub, not poor subgrades, but the minimum subgrades you could get for a nine. And so, you know, the, it's not a true comp. But the less sophisticated, less studied person is going to say, Yeah, nine's a nine. That you know, you know, buy the holder, not the card, which I think is opposite. So so yeah, uh, the fact that there's a dynamic interchange between the buyer and the seller is healthy. It's it's a wrestling of who really who really wants this. To, it's it's a negotiation to see who really wants who wants it more in the terms of you know, is is the is the uh, that, that's why there's brokers in real estate. Is the job of the broker is to get the seller down and the buyer up. Well, there are not really that many brokers in the in the hobby, uh, but you're at a table, you're doing your own negotiation, and you're trying to figure out can I get him to come down. He's trying to figure can I get you to come up. And when they meet, and it happens a lot now. It's a good. But it's a good. Price guides are the equalizer. To put an equal basis of knowledge on both sides of the table. That's that was one of my goals when I got started, and I think that is true of the market movers guys and the and the card ladder guys too. To level the playing field, allow for a healthy, dynamic, competitive uh, marketplace. Where, and again, when when people have trust, uh, they're more willing to spend money.
0: One hundred percent, one hundred percent on the trust note. Maybe before we let you go leave listeners just maybe with some words of wisdom or advice a lot of people who listen to this show um you know are, are hey, i've gotten back in the hobby over the last year or a couple years still trying to figure it out learn there everyone's having a good time but just like what what is your your words of wisdom to the audience a lot is changing a lot is going on like what's what's on your mind that you think uh the insight w- that you shared would be would be helpful
1: there's a a two by two matrix that that is done in MBAs that you know wh- where there's competence and there's consciousness, and so you're uncon you start out being unconsciously incompetent. You don't even know what you don't know, and if people just come to that realization, then I really don't know. So the first step is to be consciously incompetent. <laughs> but, hey, I, at least I realize I don't know everything. I don't know everything I need to know. And then you have, after that, you're going to be kind of consciously competent, which, as you've said, and it sounds like you're a really good example. Is that you've got a lane, you've, you, you've got some things you really know well. And if you stick to them, you're probably going to do well. So you're consciously competent. Okay? The final nirvana is unconsciously competent, And that's very few people. Rob Veris is probably in that category, that he can know pretty instantly if he wants to buy somebody's whole whole table, whole presentation. And now he's teamed up, you know, I interviewed his dad and his son, you know, on Father's Day last year. but, uh, but Ryan is following in the footsteps of Rob. And so he's more savvy on like what you're saying of some of the huge cards where Rob is long tail. So that's the unconscious it, uh, competence is where, and again, probably nobody can know everything. Rich Klein, my good buddy, has, you know, was very involved in the Almanac. So he, he has a very, and I have a really good long tail understanding, but nobody can do everything. So conscious Incompetence moving into conscious competence in a in a certain area that's well defined that you got I got confidence that I can do this that I know how to do this I'm not going to get burned again all things being equal wise words that's my my my, uh, lesson for the day
0: get out your notepads everyone that's that's something that I think is a a good note to close on. and, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate I couldn't make it work and, and meet up with you in Dallas, but it is absolute pleasure for you coming on the show and sharing some insights. And everyone, definitely go check out Dr. Beckett's show. Um, that's something you all should be uh, listening to and checking out regularly. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Appreciate it, Brett. Keep up the great work. Awesome.
0: Man, that was a ton of fun. I'm feeling inspired and motivated. Um, such an awesome conversation. Hopefully you picked up some nuggets from a hobby legend. Make sure you subscribe to his show. I will be on it upcoming. We had some fun recording quick fire, rapid questions. Great format. I thrive in that format. Make sure you go subscribe to his stuff for that conversation. If you like what you've been hearing on the pod, hit that subscribe button. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And I will be back next week with more Stacking Slabs.